taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to this message. This is the Journey Church Podcast. Our hope is that it leads you closer to Jesus and encourages you to live your life on mission for Him. For more information about our church and how you can get involved in what God is doing at Journey, please visit jrny.church. How's everybody doing? That's good. Like three people. It's the same people every week. They're like, woo! And some of you know, you just got to buy in, man. Church is a great place to be. It is great to be with you at church. This day is never going to happen again. We're not all going to be here together in these rooms. And so I'm expecting... Uh, that God is going to do something incredible over the next 30 minutes or so. We get to begin a brand new sermon series today. It's going to take us into fall in football weather. Uh, we're calling it Whistleblower. And I want to give you kind of the background of, of the message. Is One of the most difficult um, things for, for me as a pastor, I've been doing this for, for a long time now, uh, is, is watching people walk away from the things of God. Like you see people, they come you, you watch them kind of go through the cycle of, of church where they're, they're really excited about their faith. And then you watch this, this cycle that happens to more people than, than, than you know. And you look at the traje- trajectory of their life, and it's not going towards God. It's actually, it's like it hit, it hit a barrier, and then it starts going back, back down. And it, it's disturbing to me, but more important than being disturbing, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking to watch people walk away from the good things that God has for their, their life. And so what I want to do is I want to open your eyes to this. The Bible tells us in, in, in the book of 2 Corinthians 4 uh, th- that Satan does very specifically with unbelievers. Watch, watch what he does. Uh, the God of this age, he blinds the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. In other words, I don't know if you have friends that don't know Christ and their life is a wreck and you're like, dude, just come to church. But it's like almost like they're blinded. Like they're like, no, it's not that bad. And you're like, your life it is a wreck. You wake up, you don't know where you're at, you're sleeping with people, you don't know their name, you're, you're cutting yourself, you're taking drugs, like your life it is a mess. You're always depressed, you have all sorts of anxiety, and you want to tell them your life is a mess, but they just don't see it. Here's why. Because Satan has blinded their minds. They, they don't see it. But when you come to Christ, the Bible says your mind is, is renewed, and you begin to see things in, in ways that God sees them. And so then it tells us in the book of, of 1 Peter, a little bit more instruction to believers. It says, be alert and of sober. Everybody say it. What? So you're, you're blinded before you're, you're a believer. Then you come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, and you see. The Bible says that he gives sight to the blind. It's not necessarily only talking spiritually or, or, or physically. It's talking spiritually. He gives sight to the spiritually blind. He helps us to see things. And then Peter says, be sober. Like, don't, don't drink what the devil is serving you. If, if you can get the, the, the imagery of that, essentially what he's saying is Satan is like a spiritual bartender, and he is serving people mixed drinks, and they're drinking them without even realizing that. He says, be of sober mind. Don't, don't drink what he is, is pouring you. And so what I want to do is I want to kind of show you that, and th- this is why I call this, this sermon series Whistleblower. Because essentially, a whistleblower is somebody who exposes the, the crimes or, or the wrongdoings of somebody else. Like, like, and you know it might cost you. Like, I'm going to just be honest with you. Some of these sermons might, might offend you a little bit. But I'd rather offend you in the temporary than wa- watch you walk away from God in the, in the eternity. Like, I'd rather you get mad at church and then go, oh, no, maybe he was right than for me to never, ever talk to you about difficult things and for you just to kind of calmly walk away from the truth of God. And so what I want to do is I'm going to be a whistleblower. And some of you are like, well, you know, what does that look like? Well, I'll give you some famous whistleblowers of past. When I was an adolescent in, in my early teenage years, Bill Clinton was the president. Uh, a lady named Linda Tripp worked for the Pentagon. And it was at that time that the whole Monica Lewinsky and Bill Clinton scandal came out. She was actually the one that brought it to light. 
She knew it would cost her her job. She knew it would cost her colleagues. She knew it would be a big deal, but she said, you know what? I'm going to bring this to light. A few years ago, uh, a, a, a man named Edward Snowden, you remember you saw the movie on, on Netflix or, or wherever you watched it, uh, he brought to light that the government is always listening to us. And I think all of us are going, duh, like we, our phones always listen to us. They know you better than you know yourselves. So that you have in, you know, devices in your homes that they are listening to you at all. You have basically have invited the government into your, your house, but they are listening to everything. But he told people that before they really knew that it was a big deal. Let me give you something that just happened to me this last week, whistleblowing. I went uh, on Monday, I went to SeaWorld. Any of you ever been to SeaWorld? SeaWorld is, is amazing. I, I believe it is a perfect park, and here's why. It is a perfect mixture uh, of, of a, a zoo and an amusement park. And so for me, I'm a 40-year-old. So if you just give me an amusement park, that's, that's, that's throw-up city, right? Like I'm old, I'll be messed up. If you just give me a zoo, I, I'm, I think it's lame because you go there, you never know what you're going to get. Like some people go and the, the gorillas are doing stuff. Most of my experience with the zoo is you look at the grill, the grill looks at you. You're like, what's up? And you just got to do that. And you leave. You're like, I just paid to look at, at a gorilla. He looked at me. You know, who's, who's, the, who's the fool here? And so, but like, like SeaWorld's different. Like you go and you ride rides. They have, a, they have really, some really good roller coasters. And then in between the rides, you go to shows. And you see like, like a dolphin show or like a killer whale show. And then as you're going to shows, you can also go to exhibits. So like the rides lead to the zoo. And so you see penguins. Like you ever see a real life penguin without glass? They're, they're amazing. Like they just... This is like, this is like, give you that. But I was like, this is, in, like, it was cold in there. This is incredible. And then there was this pool where these uh, stingrays are swimming around. And, and, you know, I know what happened to Ir- Irwin or whatever his name was. And I was like, can we touch these? And they're like, you can touch them. And so I'm touching stingrays as they're swimming by. I'm like, I'm tough, right? Like, I'm touching stingrays. And so I loved it. They had, they had a manatee baby, like, sitting on the edge of, you like, walked up. He just looked like this little chubby baby just sitting on the edge of the water. Like, this is so... This is so cute. I love, like, I will go back there in a heartbeat. I got back on Tuesday and came to the office uh, to work, and they asked me how my trip was, and I, I ran it and raved about SeaWorld. And as I was talking to some of my coworkers, they said, have you ever seen Blackfish? And I was like, what's that? And they were like, what's well, a documentary about how evil SeaWorld is? <laughs> and I was like, well, you, you literally, you're literally, like, you're ruining my life right now. So, I, of course, I went home and I watched it, and it was, it was kind of sad, and these people are whistleblowing, people that work there basically saying you shouldn't get in the water with killer whales, and I'm thinking, duh, like you shouldn't get in the water with killer whales, but like you shouldn't have killer whales, and, and I get all that, and I don't want to get into argument over animals and things like that. The same people that argue that you shouldn't have a killer whale have cats at their house, and by the way, your cats would eat you if they could, they just can't, and so like they... But, I, but I, it was like, it kind of ruined it for me because I came back and I'm like, oh, they're not, like, they don't really enjoy being there as much as you look like they enjoy. I thought they were like smiling at the crowd, like waving their tails and their flippers because that's how they make them appear to do. Now, some of you say, will you go back there? Absolutely, I will go back there. And so I'm just, I'm just like that. I'm not that sensitive. But some of you are, but it, it whistle blew. Like, this is, this is the big deal. This is what I want to do. I want to, the next week, I want to talk to you about marriage. I want to show you how people ruin their marriages. Because it happens often in church. Like you watch people who are married for years and all of a sudden their marriage is falling apart. Uh, but it doesn't happen instantly. And so I want to show you that. I want to show you how Satan kind of uses money to ruin people's lives. Today I just want to talk to you about how Satan gets people to walk away from God. How, how, how he gets people to walk away from God oftentimes without them knowing it. And let me just tell you why I'm so passionate about this. Because I've watched it. Now there, there's different theories in church. One theory says... Uh, once you're saved, you're always saved. 
And, and I don't know if that's true or not. I know it, it's easier for us to say that. It's like when people say, uh, you know, hell is real, but it's not forever. Like, I, I know it sounds better when you preach it. Like, you're going to suffer, but you're not going to suffer forever. You're not going to be separated from God forever. I get it. I just haven't been able to find it. And the same thing is true. Like, I get this, 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 this line of teaching that once you're saved, you're always saved. I understand it, and I've been a part of it. Because there's times I do a funeral for, you know, for Uncle Joe, who got dedicated and, and confirmed and baptized when he was three years old in the Catholic Church and never stepped foot back in it again. And nobody knows where he's at. And so what we'd rather say is at some point he experienced the grace of God. So he has never shown fruit of it. He has never lived a day where he has actually pursued a relationship with God, but he's probably in heaven now. Like, I get it, because once saved, always saved. I just don't know if it's true. And then the verse I'm going to read you is pretty hard to, 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 to feel, theologize and break down and to see if you think that. Like, in my church growing up, there was almost an overemphasis on backsliding. So some people go, once you're saved, you're in, you do whatever you want. You just do whatever you want. You didn't save yourself. You don't keep yourself saved. You do whatever you want. As long as you said the prayer, as long as you, you know, committed, you, you get. Some people will say people that fall away have, were never saved in the first place. I don't know, but in my church growing up, you could backslide. And, and almost to the point where it was scary. Like, you're like, oh my gosh, I lied last night. If I died today, do I go to hell? I would get saved every week. And so this is not what I'm trying to tell you that, that, that you can, you're always kind of at the brink of falling in. But I do think biblically, that there is people that though God has rescued them and brought them in, that there is the ability to kind of walk away from God. But it doesn't typically happen overnight. It happens with small steps. Don't you ever been to the beach? You don't drift like this. You don't get in the water, end up three blocks down. You, you get in, in the water, you get in an in a, in a inner tube, and you just you know, slowly glide down the beach. And before you know it, you're like, where's my family? I was on 33rd Street, and now I'm on 13th Street. Like, I, I could see the hotel, now, now I can't see it. it. It happens just kind of slowly. This is why it's so hard to see. But I want to read you this verse, and this is why this, to me, is such an important message that we should take serious. But watch what it says in, in Hebrews 6. It's impossible. That's a big word. Like, I, I, would, I would rather say it's improbable. But this one says it's impossible. It's impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and who have shared in the Holy Spirit who tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age and who have fallen away. It tells us we can fall away to be brought back to repentance. The Bible says it's impossible, not improbable. It's impossible. To the lost, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. In other words, your heart becomes, once you find Christ and you step into the grace of God, oftentimes in that moment, you are, you are, you are at a low point, you're, you're humble, and you come to God. And something often happens to Christians, we become, we become kind of full of ourselves. And when you walk away from, from God, you forget what it felt like the first time when you found God. And it's really difficult for you to come back after you walked away from God because this thing called pride comes in. Where you think stuff like, I don't need that anymore. I had that. It saved me. I'm cleaned up. I can handle myself. And I'm afraid for people because I've watched them walk away from God, I watch people destroy their lives without even, no one says, you know what, today I'm going to destroy my life. Just like nobody gets married and says, in three years we're going to get divorced. It doesn't happen overnight, it happens gradually through us drifting away. And this is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11. He says, I'm afraid that just as Eve, deceived by the serpent's cunning, uh, was deceived by the serpent's coming, your minds may somehow be led astray from sincere and pure devotion to Christ. This is what I'm afraid of. Uh, just like Eve, who was in the garden. Like some of you say, you know what, I, I get it. 
Uh, if stuff was better, I would never walk away from God. Well, that's what he's saying. Eve was in perfection. There was nothing wrong. She didn't, her, and, her and her husband, they had a great marriage. Like, they, didn't have any, they had no problems. They had food everywhere. They got to hang out with, with the animals. Like, they, they didn't wear clothes. Like, this sounds like, this sounds like perfection to the men here. Right? Can I get an amen with your wife? Like, we're just going to run around in this garden. We're going we're gonna to eat choice fruit, and we're not going to wear clothes. Like, that sounds incredible, right? And, and in the middle of that perfection, no sickness, none of that, she ends up sinning and rebelling against God. And he says, just like she was deceived, I'm afraid so many people in church, he's not talking about the unchurched people. He's not talking about the people that are really bad out there. He's talking about the people that are in church right now. I'm afraid many of them will be deceived and their minds will will be changed. So what I want to do is I want to give you some steps because what I don't want you to be is low-hanging fruit spiritually to Satan. You know, low-hanging fruit is an easy target. You're an easy target to, to, to trip up, to take off course. So let me just give you four what I would call steps. They're not in order. They, they kind of just go, go together. Some of you will have one step. Some of you will have another step. Some of you will be like, I'm all four, like all of the above. And some of you are great. Like you're a new Christian and you just need to write these down and remember them because you're still in love and excited about your faith. Some of you have been Christians for a long time and you've just began to drift. It's not the same as it used to be. So let me just give you four. Number one is this, is the first way to, to walk away from God. Most important thing is don't make spending time with God a priority. Don't do it. If you want to drift from God, and before you know it, be far from God, and before you know that, fall away from God, and before you know that, not be anywhere near God, and your life be back to maybe even worse than when it was before, because now you're really angry, and you're really prideful, and you're really hard-hearted, Make sure you don't spend any time with God. What I'm talking about is don't come to church every week. Like, don't, like when you first get saved, you're here every week. You're like, I need it like I need air. I need it like I need oxygen. I need the word. I need to be with people that are going the same direction. I need to praise. I need to be here right now. And then you kind of go along and you're like, I can do it online. No offense if you're watching it online right now, but it's true. Like I can watch church online and you know I, I'm busy I have lots a lot of stuff to do and I got a lot of priorities and work like I work like 45 or 50 or 60 or 80 hours or 100 hours a week because I have to pay for things that I don't need to impress people I don't know and so I work all of these hours and man Sunday is really 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 that, that's the day I need to calm down that's the day I need to rest that's a me day right like that's the day that I got stuff man if you want to wander away from God don't make make spending time with God a priority don't serve ever like don't don't serve, and if you do serve, only serve once a month, and when you serve, make sure you miss the huddle, and make sure you do the bare minimal. Like, don't serve, and man, for all intents and purposes, never give. Don't let your money come out of your hand to the church or anywhere else. They're just going to steal your money anyways. They don't need it. Look at all the stuff that they have. Don't serve. Don't give. Don't go to church. Don't read your Bible, ever. Don't, don't ever read your Bible. You got the YouVersion Bible app. It will read to you. All you got to do is push play. Don't push play. Don't read it. Keep saying you don't understand it. And never, ever, ever pray. Never pray. Never open your mouth. Never talk to God. Never spend time with him. Always talk about how busy you are. Always be stressed out. Don't make spending time with God a priority. And here's what happens when you don't do that. Is intimacy is built for, through priority and time. And Satan knows this. He knows this in marriage. I can take it to the bank for you. If you are having marriage problems right now in your life, one of the main culprits is you don't spend time with, with your spouse at all. You don't, you, don't, you don't talk. You don't have good conversation. Uh, you don't go on date nights. Uh, you're busy. You both are going 100 miles an hour. You have little kids. They stay, you don't have a bedtime for them. They stay up. They co-sleep with you so you never sleep with each other. 
Like all these things, and no, no offense, this is what we do. We have all these kids involved and jobs involved, and we don't talk, and then some, you get together, and people are like, I just don't like them. I fell out of love with them. Well, when's the last time you went on a date with them? I don't know. We can't. It's too expensive, right? I once heard a guy say, what's more expensive, divorce or a date? Divorce. <laughs> You're like, I don't know, right? <laughs> and you don't spend time together, and you don't, you don't and, and a lack of intimacy, it, it, it happens because there's no time, there's no connection. Satan knows this, and so he's going to do everything in his power. I just want you to know this. As you are starting your journey with Christ, he is going to do everything in his power to get you to not be with God. He's, why do you think everything is on Sundays? Do you realize years ago there was nothing on Sundays? You know why? People went to church. Like, that's what you did. You went to church on Sunday. Now, there's showers every day, showers, weddings, soccer games, you know, lacrosse games, swimming games, rehearsals, dress rehearsals, dance rehearsals, uh, cheerleading rehearsals. Everything is on Sunday. Nothing is on Saturday. Why, why, why? Because Saturday is my day. Sunday is, is my day to take care of my family, right? I got to do all that stuff on, on Sunday, right? It's cheaper. Why, why do you think it's cheaper on Sunday to get married? Well, why is it cheaper? Is that, is that a mistake or is that Satan? just makes sense to get married. You got the beach. You got all these things. He's going to do everything in his power. Don't serve. Don't do any uh, of that. If you want to drift from God, don't make spending time with God a priority. And here's the thing that I want you to make sure you understand. These attacks will never stop. They don't, it's not like you're a young person. You get saved. You, you get situated in your faith, and Satan goes, ah, oh, they're, they're done. In every step of your life, in every age group of your life, he, he will come with attacks. And here's the thing about his attacks. His attempts have the same purpose. His attacks come from a different angle. And you have to understand the angle. Like, let me, let me give you an example. When you're a young teenager and you begin to seek the face of God and come into an identity as a child of God and all these things, Satan wants to do whatever he can to bring shame into your life and brokenness into your life. And so he's going to try to get you to do things that, that he will make you believe the rest of your life this is going to be with you. He will call because teenagers are not equipped to make really lifelong decisions. They'll make really dumb decisions. And then Satan, the deceiver, will say that what you did, that's going to hurt you and impact you and give you a black eye for the rest of your life. You're never going to get married. You're never going to have a good job. I can't use your life because of all the bad things that you've done as a child. And then you get a little older and maybe you've got saved when you were a young adult, but you were still single. Let me tell you how Satan, let me tell you his angle right here. You get saved, you start coming to church. Maybe you're a single girl, single guy, but I want to specifically talk to the single girls because you seem to fall for this more than the guys and so but i'll talk to the guys too and you start coming to church and you're seeking the face of god and you're all by yourself and i preach a message or jordan preaches a message about how you know the goodness of god and the promises of god are happening you've been single for six months and then seven months and then eight months and you're seeking the face of god but you're tired of, of waiting and all of a sudden you're like you know what i need to handle this on my own how satan's going to come at you is send you some some guy or some girl to date it just says, they're not going to be loving God. You're not going to find them in church. You're going to find them outside of church. You're going to drag them to church with you, and you're going to make compromises in your life. But hey, at least they're sitting in church. They're sleeping, but at least they're sitting here, right? They don't want anything to do. He's going to send you a relationship. And if he can't get your relationship, he's like, I want a relationship. If he can't give you that, uh, Satan will try to give you a good job somewhere. A job that'll take you away from making God a priority. A job where you're super busy. A job where you have to work Saturday night or Sunday morning. A job that works you till you're exhausted so that you can't even serve on Sunday because you've worked so many hours because it's a great career opportunity. And he's going to get you to try as a young adult to trade in the temporary for the forever. As an older person, then you get married, his angle changes. His angle comes like, like what I would call like babies. It's funny how many people go backwards when they have a baby. 
it's almost like they want to tell God, God, did you know it was this much work? Like, and instead of looking at God and saying, you're expanding my capacity to serve in your kingdom, to bring my kids, to train them up in the ways of the Lord so that when they grow old, they will not depart. And it's more than just a Bible verse on my refrigerator. It's a way of life that we participate in. Instead, people have kids, and it's almost like they don't see it, but that angle, that begins to take people. Satan loves it. He's like, I'm taking you away from God because I've given you a couple little gods. When they're young, people will say, so because I can't come to church consistently, and the reason I can't come to church consistently is because it's nap time. Like, that's, it's nap time, and they have, if they don't nap, mommy will kill somebody. And so they have to nap, and I always want to tell people, you are the one that sets the nap time. They will take a nap anytime you make them. You just got to put them on a schedule. If you want a book, I'll, I'll, I'll refer you one after church. But don't, don't, don't let nap time get in the way of you serving the Lord. Then they get older, and some of you are like, no, 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 no. When they get older, when they stop taking naps, when they stop being so high maintenance, then I'll begin to come to church. And I just want to tell you something. Kids don't get less high maintenance. They get more high maintenance. Can I get an amen? amen. When you're babies, maybe they, maybe they don't sleep all night, but they sleep two or three times during the day. Guess what happens when they turn six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old? When they're, when they're done sleeping in the morning... They don't go back to sleep again until nighttime. I remember when I was like, wait, no more naps? Like, we're done with this? Like, no, Harris, you know, Harrison's six. He should still take a nap. Look at him. He's tired. And Carter's 11. He's growing. He needs a nap, right? Like, they stop taking naps. And then it, this happens. Uh, school happens. And, and activities happen, and birthday parties happen, and sleepover requests happen, and all these things begin to, I, I sometimes talk to parents, I'm like, hey, where's your kids? Oh, they're at a sleepover with their friend. I'm like, well, you're at church, and they're not at church. What do you mean they're at sleepover with their friend? No, 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 not a big deal. We're going to talk about compromise in a second. No, no, no. You don't let your kid miss church for a sleepover. You bring them, pick them up, bring them with you, and bring the family with you, too. But that comes, and let me just, let me just tell you, it doesn't stop at, after kids. Some of you are like, I get rid of my kids to go through that, you know, keep God a priority, get them saved. I, you would not uh, believe how many people that I see, I would call them uh, uh, educated, um, mature saints. Let's just call them mature, not old. Uh, that their kids get out of the house that stop coming to church. It's almost like they're like, done. Like in the time in your life when you get older and you have influence and there's a bunch of younger people coming to church that didn't have parents that would love to have an adoptive spiritual mom and dad in their life to raise them up and to point them and to mentor them. People get older, their kids leave the house. They're like, I'm done. I got enough money to buy a beach house. I got enough money to go on vacations. I got enough money. I don't need God anymore. I put in my time. And listen, it's the different, it's a, he does it in different ways, in different angles, but it has the same purpose. He will never stop working to get you to walk away from God. Don't make God our priority. And here's what I would tell you, and this is, this is the problem with so many, so many of us. We don't have any real friends. Some of you say, what do you mean? You don't have a friend that would tell you this? So most of us, we have never experienced like a real friend that will call us up and say, listen, man, you're jacked up. You're going in the wrong because we're afraid they're not going to like us. But here's my challenge to you. If there's somebody that goes to church here still, but they only come once a month and they used to come every week and they used to serve and they don't serve and they used to tithe and they don't tithe and they used to raise their kids up and they don't raise their kids up. And when their kids were little, they told you, I'm going to raise my kids in the church. And now they're older and they have sports and they think their kid's the next Pele or Michael Jordan. And you know they're not, right? They're five foot nothing, white kid. They're not the next anything. It should be the next missionary or preacher or sound person or band player or parking person. Instead, you're raising them up to do nothing. Call them up on the phone today and say, listen, I didn't see you at church. I'll watch it online. No, you didn't. You had it up on your phone so it looked like you attended. 
You weren't at church. You haven't been at church for a month. You used to raise your kids here. You were the one that brought me to church, and now you're walking away from the things of God. And I don't care if you get mad at me, because I'd rather you be temporarily mad at me than go to hell. Is there real friends anywhere? Problem is, most of us don't, don't have them. So that's the first one. Don't, don't make spending time with, the, with God with the priority. Let me just give you a couple more. Hang out with the wrong people, number two. Hang out with the, if you want to walk away from God, make sure you hang out with the wrong people. Jesus said in one of his parables, he said, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You can read it on the screen. And that's a kind of an ad lib of it, a summary. But he's telling a story. He's using an ancient illustration. And yeast, I've, only, I've cooked pizza a couple times, and every time it tells you to add yeast, you're like, what's the point of this? And the point is it causes the bread to, to have air and to rise, but you don't really see yeast. You just dump it in. It's very miniature and minute and not a big deal, but you see the effects of it. And here's what I would tell you about who, who you hang out with, and this is, this is a really important concept for you to understand. The, the people you hang out with, that determines your future. So we've often said, show me your five closest friends, and I'll show you who you're going to be. In, in five years, because the reason is influence does not take effort, just proximity. You don't, you don't, you don't hang out with the wrong people and then go, you know what, I'm going to let them affect me. You hang out the wrong, with the wrong people and they affect you. When we go to Oklahoma for, for Thanksgiving or whenever we go to Oklahoma, my wife who's from there, she doesn't have a twang anymore, maybe a little bit, but they talk extremely differently there. Think King of the Hill, you know, meets Mississippi, something like that. So they talk differently. They're slow, right? They drawn out. And she gets there. Day one, day two, nothing happens. But day three, day four, I'm like, who are you? Where did my wife go? Like, what? Why are you talking? And it, she doesn't. It's not like she's like, you know what? I'm in Oklahoma. I'm going to speak like Oklahomanese, right? I'm going to speak this language. I'm going to speak like my relatives. No, no, no. You just talk like that because you're around that. It doesn't take effort. It just takes proximity. Let me, let me just tell you, this happens in really two phases in your life. I don't want you to understand it. When you're a new believer, the way that Satan will attack you is he will get you and convince you it's okay for you to continue to hang out with your old friends. Now, I'm not telling you to not talk to your old friends and not want to be influential to your old friends, but too many of you are still allowing your old friends to influence you. And at some point in your walk with Christ, you'll have to step away and establish with your friends, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I don't go to the bars anymore. I don't drink like that anymore. I don't sleep around anymore. I don't talk like that anymore. I don't look at that pornography anymore. I don't do that. I'm, I'm not hungover on Saturday night. These are the things that I do. And you're going to establish your new identity so that one day when they hit rock bottom, you'll be there to help them get up. But the problem is so many of you never separate yourself from your old friends because you don't want to be unliked and you don't want to call pe people to call you a Jesus freak or whatever else and you don't want people to make fun of your religion and so you kind of just stay in and stay out. You play the hokey pokey with, with God and you turn yourself around and before you know it, you're completely gone. So there will be a moment in your life when you're a new believer where you're going to have a season of separation from your old friends so that you can establish your new identity. But here's the thing about it, it doesn't stop there. Because Satan ruins more believers' lives with people inside the church he does outside the church. And this is where you get in trouble. This might surprise you. But not every, and I just want to look at all the campuses, not every person who goes to Journey Church and calls himself a Christian is somebody you should hang out with. Now, I don't want to point fingers and tell you who it is because I don't know. But there is an awful lot of what I would call butt-hurt believers. <laughs> Write that down somewhere. B-U-T-T-H-U-R-T. Believers. What does that look like? Gossipy, critical, angry, unforgiving, know-it-all, been to multiple churches, never happy, always pointing out the flaws, 
And you know when you get with them because all of a sudden you begin to hang out with them and you begin to gossip and you begin to talk. And I'm going to tell you, they are even more dangerous to your walk with God than the people outside the church. I've watched whole groups of people who were super involved and super invested, not in Journey Church, but into the kingdom of God and willing to give and willing to sacrifice and willing to step up and post it online how excited they are to be part of the church and how blessed they are. And a year later, they've surrounded themselves with the wrong people. And a whole, a whole group, like an amoeba, all get sick together and move out of the faith, and they don't even see it. I'm going to encourage you, if you want to continue to grow close to God, Make sure you pick the right people to hang out with. If there's people inside the church you're looking to hang out with, pick, find people that are serious about their walk with Christ. Find people that are, that, are, that are grace-filled. Find people that are forgiving. Find people that find the good and not the, the bad. That's difficult in Pennsylvania. Can I get an amen on that? Find people who are positive in your life. Find people who will pray with you. Find people who want to read scripture with you. Find somebody who will call you out. You find somebody who will call you out, they are gold in your life. It is very difficult to find somebody who says, you're being an idiot. You're, you're wrong. I don't care what everybody else says. That's going to lead you down a path of death. Man, make sure you hang out with the wrong people if you want to walk away from God. Let me just give you two more quickly. Laura, you can come up and play so we can wrap this up. Number, number three, uh, I would say this. Another step away from God is, is compromise your faith. Don't, don't, don't make spending time with God a priority. I'll hang out with the wrong people and, and compromise your, your faith. Well, what's the, what's the word compromise mean? It means that you're willing to budge somewhere. That's what it means. Like you, you have a faith, you're firmly established in it, but, but according to the winds of your life, you're willing to, to, to budge. So, so let me give you an example. You're, you're following Christ. You, you, you know the Bible teaches no premarital sex. Don't do any of that. Save yourself for marriage. Slow down on this side of marriage so that you can accelerate on the other side of marriage. You know what I'm talking about? If you don't, I'll talk to you later about it. Slow down here. Have lots there. You know, don't make babies here. Make lots of babies there for, the, for Journey Church to grow. The, like, slow down here. But, but, but here, here it comes. Now you're dating. You've been single for a long time. The guy that you're dating, the girl that you're dating, they don't get it because they don't go to church. And you know to stay with them because you don't want to be alone. You just budge a little bit. We're going to sleep together, but we're never going to sleep together on Saturday because that makes me feel bad. So we're going to do it Friday. That way all Saturday I can fast and pray and be cool for Sunday. You, you, you budge a little bit. Some of you, when you got saved, you're like, you know what? I'm never going to touch, touch alcohol or drugs again. Ne never. You separated yourselves from, from your, your friends. You said, I'm never going to touch this stuff again because it's led me down a destructive path. And I've watched so many people be led down a destructive path. So I'm never going to touch it again. And then you, you, you get friends and they're out and you don't want to be alone. And, you know, you're at a wedding and everybody's, you know, toasting and it's, it's New Year's Eve and everybody's having. And just take and just budge a little bit. Just take one, one sip of that champagne. Just, just one. Here's, here's what Satan knows. One, one leads to two. Two often leads to three. Three often leads to ten. Ten often leads to death. So that's what happens. It's like having a chain, and in the chain you have one weak link. Eventually the pressure will get put on that chain where that weak link will, will cause the whole thing to fail. That's what compromise is. If you, want, if you want to walk away from God, leave areas of your life where you're willing to compromise. In fact, Scripture says it like this in Ephesians 4. Don't, don't give the devil a foothold. Don't, don't, don't give the devil, don't leave the door cracked in your life anywhere. Because if you leave the door cracked, he will find it his way in. A foothold, uh, if you think about it, is actually a spot to grab 
to get a better grip to climb to a higher height. So what he's saying is don't give Satan somewhere to grab a hold of in your life. Don't, don't compromise. Don't budge. Don't, don't move anyway. You see, because what happens often is compromise, it, it begins with seduction, but it, it ends with destruction. It's a one step. Just, just one, one allowance. No big deal. And here's the problem with compromise is it starts off like okay. Starts off fun. Starts off with no big deal. Starts off not really hurting you. So we mistakenly think it's not a big deal because if it was a big deal, this would have went really bad. And you just keep taking steps. And you just keep taking steps. See, I, I believe that God has called us to live with what I would call convictions. And, and convictions are, are different. This is how I would describe convictions. Convictions is in the areas of your life where you are convinced beyond a shadow of doubt, a strong belief, something you won't move from. They're not situational. They're foundational. They're, they're different. Like I wrote some of my personal convictions down, and these, these don't have to be your personal convictions, but these are some of my personal convictions when it comes to being a pastor, things that I wrote down that I want to practice no matter what, no matter what comes, no matter how difficult church gets, no matter who leaves, no matter who comes, no matter how much we grow, no matter how much we shrink, no matter how tight our money gets, here's my convictions. They won't change. I'm never going to move from them. First conviction that I wrote down that I've tried to attain to for all of my years is I'm going to preach the word of God no matter what culture says. So for instance, if you go back to last June, we preached a, a series on uh, sexuality and marriage and gender, and I was very upfront. I said, I understand people struggle with this, and I get it, but I'm going to teach you what the Bible says. And I, I, I don't care if you get mad and you get angry and you give us a bad review, because we got plenty of them. I watched our stars go from 4.9 to 4.3 on Facebook. Woo, right? And I knew people were mad, and I, I said, oh, I don't want to offend you. I, but I want you to know if you're a believer, this is what the Bible says. If you're a non-believer, sleep with whoever you want to sleep with. Call yourself whatever you want to call yourself. Do whatever you want to do as long as it's legal. Do all those things. Do whatever you want. Act like an unbeliever. That's fine. But if you're a believer, this is what the Bible says. And this is what I'm going to do for the rest of the time that I'm a pastor. We will never, ever sway from Scripture, no matter how unpopular it becomes. Let me just give you a couple more of personal evictions. Uh, my personal eviction is before I please people, I want to please God. So that means sometimes you preach, people get mad, and sometimes you go, man, I don't want to make anybody mad, but at the end of my life, I want to stand before God, and I don't want him to say, well done, you are well liked. I want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. I want to be able to lay my head on a pillow at nighttime and go, man, somebody's mad at me, but God, he's not. I made God proud today because I stood for the truth. Let me just give you a couple more personal convictions. I'm going to practice generosity as a church and as a pastor, personally and publicly. We're going to give 10% no matter how tight money gets, no matter if we go in the red one month. We're going to give as a family no matter what breaks in my house. I'm going to give. My compassion kids are going to eat every month. They're going to eat before I eat sometimes. I'm going to practice generosity by giving. I'm going to practice generosity at Starbucks. I'm going to practice generosity at Wawa. I'm going to practice generosity in my life no matter, no matter what comes. And my number one conviction, my number one conviction is I want to make sure my number one priority uh, spiritually in my life is the church and Jesus. I have, I have earthly priorities. My wife, you know, and, and then I would say my job. But to me, this isn't a job. To me, this is a calling. And so my number one priority in my life spiritually is the church is jesus christ is making sure i'm raising up the church that would make him proud that he died for a pure and spotless bride 
So n- number, number one, don't make spending time with God a priority. Number two, hang out with the wrong people. Number three, you want to walk away from God, just c- continue to compromise. And let me just give you one more. Number four, play the game. What's the game? Some of you, you can't wait for me to stop talking because you just want to repent and get your crap right with God. I, I want to stand. I want to raise my hands. I want to worship God. I've walked away from God. I need to get my life right where I've grown weak. God's grace has grown more. I'm not too far away from God. He still wants to use my life. He wants me to learn. He wants me. He wants a relationship with you. I'm still his son. I'm still his daughter. Some of you are so, you're like, just stop talking. You, you're way over your clock. And others of you are like, just stop talking so I can get out of here. I, play, I played the game today. You know, I went to Orlando. I don't know why Orlando is so popular. It's hot as hell there. Literally. It is, it, it is the middle of August. I'm like, we're, we're at Universal Studios, and I feel like I'm going to die. I can't drink enough water to keep my system. Everybody is sweaty. Everybody smells. I'm like, if you don't believe in hell, go to Orlando. You will. It's hot, and you don't want to be there. And so I'm there. I'm so hot. And I'm looking. I'm like, why are so many people at this thing? And I'm watching. I'm at Harry, the Harry Potter area. And I don't, don't like get all, I don't know anything about Harry Potter, right? I'm not a dork, so I don't know anything about it. Just playing. Don't get lost on Harry Potter. Come on. But I was there. They have really cool rides there. I get it. And so we, we were in there. And the, every area of Universal, just like Disney, is kind of its own theme. And so we're in the Harry Potter land. And, and I, was, I was amazed because I saw people with capes on. Black, like, like choir robes with Harry Potter logo. And I'm like, it is 120 degrees out. I get it. Now you, but here's the thing. That's because they wanted to make believe they were Harry Potter. Don't wait for two hours to get on a 30-second ride to ride a fake bike so that they can tell people they rode that ride. In a black robe with some glasses on, right? Like fully bought into it. And here's why. Because we love make-believe. That's why we love Facebook. Facebook. Sometimes you ever notice like Facebook, people all of a sudden, they're like, they're like cool, 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 divorced. And you're like, what? Like I go back a month, your feed is a You have your anniversary, your post, and now you're divorced. And here's why. Because the feed is fake. The feed is always fake. And so you have this make-believe, and I think people like do that at church. Like, I think we can make-believe our way through church. Like, I'm okay. Like, I, I get it. You're talking about, you know, walking away from God, but I'm not. I didn't serve him at all this week. I slept around. I was, I was gossipy. I was lying. But at least I'm here, and you can put that church smile face on. You know what I'm talking about? And just sit here and just wait for me to be done talking. And Jesus dealt with that with his, with his listeners as well when he said, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. You guys are hypocrites, he says. You're fake. He says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They, they worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. What's a human rule? Come to church, you're in a relationship with God. That's a human rule. That's a human rule. Dedicate your, your, your kids or baptize your kids, you'll be close to God. Human rule. It's not in the Bible. You know, say, say a couple prayers to, to Mary. Definitely human rule. Mary was a teenage girl. She didn't even know what she was doing. You know, do these things and you'll be in. He says, you, you're, you're not close to me at all. You just follow human rules. So you come to church, you follow the rule, you play the game. And I'm going to tell you something. My prayer for some of you, some of you are just going to listen to this. You're going to walk right out the door. You're going to go, I'm fine. I'm not going to do anything about it. My prayer all week has been, God, break somebody Break their heart today, not in a bad break, but in a, but in a, but in a break it so that you can fill them up in a real way. 
God, 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 convict people, their, their pride and their arrogance. God, help people to repent. You know God has showed up when people are repenting. You know it. You can keep smiling, but I want to check what's under here. You can play the game. When I was 23 years old, I believe, I, I had all my teeth at that point, and I still got most of my teeth. But I had one in the very back that started chipping. I don't know if you've ever been. I was, I was a straw chewer, so I chewed on straws. And one day, I was chewing on a straw. It was, I think it was my back left. I'm trying to figure out which tooth is missing. It's my back right right here. And uh, I was chewing on it, and it broke in the middle of me chewing on it. And I was like, I pulled the piece out. I'm like, eh. And then it just kept chipping. But here's the problem. Never hurt. Never. It, wasn't, it, was, it was in the very back of my mouth. I could smile. It wasn't like I had summer teeth. Some are here. Some are not here. Like, I, I, nobody knew. Like, nobody knew I was missing teeth. Nobody knew. It, was, it broke almost every week. It just kept breaking and kept breaking. And it didn't hurt, so I didn't care. And this is kind of how it works. Keep doing the wrong thing. Put the smile on. Nobody knows. It's not really affecting you. You haven't suffered any consequences, so you don't care. And then one time I went to camp. It was a summer. It had been about three years. I was probably 25 years old, 26. I went to camp, and uh, it was junior high youth camp. Hot Oklahoma summer. We stayed in cabins. Chapel was outside. Like, I could tell you stories about that place. And I went to, went to bed the very first night with about 13 screaming, smelly junior high guys in bunk beds. And, you know, finally got them it's quiet and the lights are out and I began to have this massive pain in my tooth. I don't know if you've ever had a tooth pain, but it's awful. But it didn't come on like from nowhere. It was from years of neglect because I didn't care because nobody could see it. And years of being like, it's not that big of a deal. And all of a sudden it hurt. And I'm telling you, it brought me to my knees and I cried. The kids were like, what's wrong with my tooth? <laughs> I'm like, you know, just uh, praying out there. I've never prayed so, God. You're the healer. And all week, he didn't heal it. I just took ibuprofen over and over and over. I'm pretty sure my kidneys will never be the same again. And over, I was just popping them like, like finally got home because we were like two and a half hours, got home, went to the dentist, and I was like, listen, I don't care what you have to do. Pull every tooth. Just stop this pain. And he, put, he numbed me up. He pulled that tooth out. I finally admitted I had a tooth problem, and he pulled the tooth out. And instantly it was like, you, you ever, you, you know, you ever hear like what you think, ain't, uh, I was like, I, I felt better than I've ever felt. This is the greatest day of my life. It was instant. And my prayer is, man, God, do that today. Spiritually for somebody. Help, help people to see. It's not going to get better on your own. You, maybe you haven't suffered the consequences yet, but... One step leads to two steps. Two steps lead to three steps. Three steps lead to ten steps. Ten steps lead to maybe forever. Take Hebrews seriously where it says it's impossible. Once you walk away, maybe your heart becomes so hardened and your pride becomes so strong that you couldn't possibly ever go back to God. Maybe you become so ashamed. But I want that to settle in because I feel like there's somebody listening to me. That you're, on, you're on the brink. You're low-hanging fruit. You're not where you were before. You're not doing what you did. You're not praying like you prayed. You're not dating who you're supposed to date. You're not giving like you're supposed to give. You're not hanging with who you're supposed to hang. You're making decisions you're not supposed to make. Play the game or get real with God today. Would you do me a favor? Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes all over this house? Maybe that's you today. Maybe, maybe you're the person who says, you know what, that's, that's me. I just want you to stop talking so I can pray. So I'm going to invite you to just go ahead and do that right now. 
I think sometimes we, we're afraid uh, to think that, that silence might lead to awkwardness. But I'm just going to step back for one second and just let you be in the presence of God and let him do the work he's supposed to do. He works on hearts. He changes lives. He calls us. He convicts us. He comforts us. He's an ever-present help in a time of need. Maybe there's somebody in this place who is real enough. You know, every week we ask people to get saved and we ask people to be bold enough to admit that. And I'm going to get to that in a second, but I wonder if you're bold enough. I wonder if you're tired of the game. I wonder if you're willing to admit, man, I'm not where I'm supposed to be. There was many times in my life, even as a pastor, where I've had to walk back towards God and say, you know what, I'm not, not the person that I was a couple years ago. I've forgotten my first love. But here's the thing. You're not too far if you can hear the voice of God. You're not too far. It's not over. You might not be who you want to be right now, but who you are right now is not who you have to be forever. You're not a finished product. You're a work in progress. And so if you can hear the voice of God, you can feel the presence of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and you are not too far. He is drawing you back to Him. And I think you just need to say, yes, God. Yes, God. And as you pray all over this house, maybe you're not a believer. Maybe you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. I would be remiss. I would make a mistake to not give you a chance. I believe nobody is here by accident at all of our campuses. And this Sunday that you're here, that God knew it. In fact, he set it up. He worked out the details. Whether you got here with a friend, you got here because you're on vacation from somewhere, you got here because you had a really difficult week. You've got here after years of being invited and you finally walked through. I'm not sure how you got here, but you're not here by mistake. There's a God that loves you so much that he does not want you to live one more day without that love. But the thing about God's love is we must receive it. It's a gift. You must receive it. And the way you receive it is the Bible says that you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that his son Jesus is Lord. That you realize that the wages of your sin is death and hell. That's what scripture says. That you are separated from God because you're a sinner. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Because you're angry, bitter, resentful, because you lie, because you gossip, because you sleep around, because you look at pornography, because you take drugs. We are all sinners, the Bible says, separated from God. Everyone. The wages of our sin is death and hell, but I love what it says. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. In other words, he loved you, he pursued you, and now he's reaching his hands out to you. And that gift is eternal life in and through Christ Jesus our Lord. But you have, you have to receive it. You can know it and not receive it. So if you're here right now and you need to receive Jesus Christ, I want to pray with you all over our campuses. It's not going to be a long, drawn-out religious prayer, but I believe there's a, there's a moment in time for all of us. I believe there's a line in the sand, so to speak, where we can say, hey, today is the day that I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. August 11, 2019, this will be the day that I'll look back on for the rest of my life and say, that's the day that I decided to follow Christ. Not, not, not I was raised in church, not I know the Bible stories, not I'm one foot in, one foot out. No, no, this is the day that I went all in for Jesus Christ. This is the day I received him. 
And I believe that decision, it starts, it starts to change you from the inside out. It impacts everything about your life. That Jesus gives you the ability to forgive. He gives you the ability to not have anxiety and resentment and fear. He gives, he gives you the ability to have heart change, to break addictions, to heal marriages. That Jesus fills you up with his power. And that same power that conquered the grave of Jesus Christ, it lives in you and it works through you. But it starts with you saying yes to Jesus. Yes to Jesus. So maybe you've walked away and you need to get back to him and you need to say yes to him again. You feel him. Or maybe for the very first time you say, you know what, I don't have a relationship with God. But from side to side, front to back, today is my day. I want to lead you in a simple prayer. A simple prayer of recognition and response. And so if that's you, there's somebody at every one of our campuses standing right where I'm standing, and they're going to let me know at Royersford and Montgomeryville and Plymouth Meeting and, and, and every other campus online, Limerick, they're going to let me know right here. But if you're in Phoenixville or any one of our campuses and you say, you know what, that's me. I need to get my life right with God. I need to give my life to Jesus Christ. Would you just begin to shoot your hand straight towards heaven as if to say, hey, this is going to be my day. This is going to be my day. I see a hand right here. I see a hand right here. Yes. Anybody else say, hey, pastor, that's me. I see another hand right here. Today's going to be my day. I see another hand right here. Yes, yes. In the middle of this summer, as it comes to a, an end and I go into the new year, into the fall, into my new opportunity, today I'm going to say yes to Jesus Christ. I'm going to invite him into my life. Hey, let's clap church all over our campuses for somebody in Limerick. Let's just wait a few more moments. Is there somebody in Royersford? Yes. Is there anybody else? Somebody in Montgomeryville? Yeah, we're just going to keep clapping. We're just going to keep waiting. Let's begin to pray all over our houses. Jesus, thank you for this day. The Bible says, this is the day the Lord has made. Lord, we get to rejoice and be glad in it. And there is nothing better to celebrate than somebody responding to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Where they were dead and now they're alive. They were blind and now they were seen. Lord, they were hopeless, but now they're filled with hope. Lord, they felt unloved, but now they get a love that never leaves them nor forsakes them. Lord, maybe they felt like an orphan in this world, but now they're adopted into the family of God. Lord, you have a good purpose and a plan for their life, and we are grateful for this moment. This is a moment that's going to change everything else. Lord, addictions are going to break. Marriages are going to heal. Lord, forgiveness is going to come into their life, Lord, in a rampant way. Lord, not only are they going to feel forgiven, but Lord, they're going to begin to let go of bitterness and resentment and anger. And Lord, as you change them, Lord, you're going to begin to change others. Lord, as your light has been found in them, Lord, they'll begin to be a light to this world. And so, Lord, we are grateful for all that you've done, for all that you've continued to do. Lord, we're thankful that we can talk about real things. And Lord, it's not a spirit of condemnation in this church, but Lord, a spirit of conviction. And let us never forget that that voice is a loving voice. It says there's more, there's better, there's greater. And I still love you because if you can't hear my voice, it means you're too far from me. And so I'm closer than you think. I'm an ever-present help in a time of need. And so thank you, Lord, not only for saving people, but thank you for re-getting re people on the path they're supposed to be, the path of life and freedom and hope. Thank you for all that you've done. Thank you for all that you're going to continue to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Hey, church, one more time. Let's clap together and say amen.